Hi, I'm Dan Higginson, and welcome to the 26th episode of the Idle Hand Society podcast, where we hope to discuss and learn more about effective creative process. He's another year wiser. I'm joined today by Paul Bentz. Good evening. Good evening. And we're also joined by documentary photographer Ed Thompson. Hello. Ed, Hello. How's it going? Hello. I'm so glad we've managed to finally fucking get you on because as we also spoke about how long it would be before we swore, it took me about four seconds. <laughs> That's embarrassing, isn't it? Uh, yeah, we've we've been chatting for a little while and I'm so glad that we've managed to get you on. In preparation for like getting you on also, I was looking through this book that I picked up off you last time that I saw you, The Unseen. Like this must have, was this your last book? It was, right? It was. It was, it was five years ago. Five years. I think it was more recently than that, though, that I picked it up. I tell you what, like having read through it back in the last sort of over the last few days, it kind of hit me how varied the work was. I mean, I knew it at the time, but it's insane. There's like landscapes, there's these medical photos, there's, there's work. Just, it's just really, really varied. I remember you saying at the time when I picked it up that it's, Sorry, I think this was one of my shout outs a little while back. So anyone that's seen this, this is a book that's shot pretty much exclusively on Kodak Aerochrome, right? Just just on Kodak Aerochrome, predominantly on uh, old kind of surveillance kind of um, plane sort of stock, infrared stock used in planes chopped down to fit medium format. But also I shot some 35 mil as well. But the majority of it, yeah, is medium format, but it's all Kodak Aerochrome. I remember you saying at the time, but I'm not into the, the kind of nerdy camera stuff. But the thing that blew my mind is that you said that it had been done on some horrifically low number of rolls. So what you're seeing in the book is like every shot, pretty yeah, much. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, it was 52 rolls of film. And bearing in mind that probably 48 of the rolls were medium format on a Mamiya RZ67, which is a 6x7 neg, and you get 10 shots per roll. But and that's I a did, thick I did, book. I know. I did I'm too thick, maybe. I did some silly shit, though. Um, I, I went to like the radioactive red forest of Chernobyl and shot six rolls of film, and that was it. And I went to like flooded out refugee camps in Assam in India, and I took six rolls of film, and that was it. It was. I had no backup. I didn't take a digital camera with me. It was bonkers. But I it's think bad. by that by that point, I'd been working with film for a long time, and like, yeah, I just. Yeah, I guess I'm lucky, but I've, you know, I've never had any kind of problems, man. I've always yeah. been quite good. The <laughs> trick, the trick with it, the trick with it is that coming back to what you said about it's a lot of different styles. It really is, man. There's like new studio work. There's sort of um, landscape series, there's aerial photography, there's astrophotography, there's sort of medical photography. There's all kinds. There's open heart surgery. There's crazy stuff. And the thing is, is that one thing I wanted to address quickly was that so many of my idols of photography growing up were people I really venerated that I didn't realise were just fucking loaded. And if I was coming up and wanted to be Cartier-Bresson or I wanted to be William Eggleston, like, I love their work, but in reality, these are people who never had to really work as a photographer a day in their lives, really. They were set for life. And one right. thing I've learned through my photography is I've never turned down a job I've done 1,500 assignments. I was a holiday camp photographer that I got through the freaking job center. And the bottom line is so much of my work um, that I hated doing in a weird way. It all helped, man. Like everything you do goes into everything you do. And when you're sat there doing jobs that you think, oh, you know, God, weirdly, it's all helping, right? right. I was listening to a podcast recently. <laughs> Sorry, I just, is that too weird meta? Am I allowed to mention podcasts? <laughs> Other podcasts yeah, are which, available. Which one? <laughs> it was it was a Joe Rogan one, and it was basically about a woman who specializes like in, in addiction. 
And she was talking about this pleasure pain seesaw of how people, when they do drugs, it it ends up with them a deficit where there's not enough um, endorphin left to like feel good. So da, 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 da. And what Joe was saying, it's interesting, is his addictions were all things she considered painful. So things that he would do for shits and giggles because he was so disciplined that then they have to pay off in the endorphin once, you know, like, it's weird. Right. It's like the payoff, it's not like you're, oh, I'm eating the cake and I feel great. It's like, yeah, I'm doing jujitsu for ages or I'm, you know, I'm, I'm writing a comedy set, I'm working or I'm being creative. Well, for me, man, a lot of the time photography is like pulling teeth. I'm, it's really fucking hard. No shit. Right. Like it's, I stress out, I freak out. And like, once I'm in it, I'm good. And the adrenaline kicks in and I'm riding the wave and I love it. But every time, man, it's always a bit like performance anxiety. You've always got that going on. And I think the weird thing for me is that even the jobs I didn't want to do or whatever, like ultimately it was something for me on the pain pleasure seesaw that was pain that I would just drive through because I knew the results, the photos and what we do as photographers is so beautiful because imagine we were chefs and we made the best meal in the world, the beautiful meal, right? And some people would get to eat it and they would know how beautiful that meal was, but for the rest of the world, they would never know. Whereas what we do, everyone knows and they don't just know, they know forever because it's frozen it's such a trip right like so yeah so what's there we it go. like for you um sorry to go over you there man it sounds like the process itself can be as you described it put in teeth when i was looking through this book and we'll come on to the book you you're sort of pulling together now i noticed there's some there, there's a massive amount of process that you've put into it right so there's some pages that are kind of um like translucent you've got some other pages that are glossy um, the rest of the book has that kind of matte finish that a lot of photo books have, but you've obviously been really deliberate in saying, right, this particular bit, I want to look this specific way. And I imagine that really complicates the process. So for a man that sat there saying like photography is like pulling teeth, surely making that book must've been massive in terms of the amount I had, of I had, I had a little bit of help because I was probably working with one of the best photo bookmakers who's alive right now on the planet. Um, which is Hayden Kai, which is turned bad into Hayden and his uh, wife. And he's like, he did Stanley Green's Black Passport. He's, he's a magician, basically. And what was difficult, technical about having all that different um, paper stock, but also the transparencies is when you put a book together, the transparency page had to correspond directly with another transparent, like it had to work the way it was put together with the, the folder. I forget the name for it now. I should know this. The, um, what's it called? Is it signatures? I can't remember. Ed, can I ask something quite vulgar? It, it, is that really, it must be really expensive to make a book that way though. Am I, am I, am I right in guessing that or, or Look, it, right, it, it looks an expensive book to make? Here's the it, deal. Yeah. Let me, let me just do some crazy maths for you. I won't talk about who I published with, which was Schilt. I, I'm going to talk about another publisher that I saw do a talk. I'm not going to name them. Okay? okay. So there was this person talking about, their publishing company, Photo Books, and they put up a spreadsheet in the in the in the lecture with all the breakdowns of where all the money goes. And like, here's this book, and it's going to cost twenty five thousand pounds to make. Twenty five, see, twenty five thousand pounds to make. He said, no money in it. There's no money in Photo Books. And you look down the list, and then you saw that the person had assigned, I think it was eight thousand pounds towards the graphic design, and they were getting that money. 
yeah. So that's interesting, isn't it? That's interesting. Now, I'm currently crowdfunding for my next book, and I've made the decision to self-publish. I'm going to do it completely independently. Over the years, I've taught myself InDesign. I've learned a lot through the process. I crowdfunded a self-published book 10 years ago of my Occupy London work. I've been through the process with a more mainstream publisher. And hand on heart, the money that I am raising to the crowdfunder is going to pay for the book and some wet proofs and maybe the travel to go over and get it printed. Um, And that's it. So if I can produce a 130-page hardback book with uh, an embossed photograph with embossed foil text a bit like William Eggleston's guide because that's why I was like that's quite cool for 7,500 pounds like 500 copy that's 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 the reality that's how much it's going to going to cost to print so when you see a lot of people with these uh, other publishers being like yeah we need the you only need 20 grand you need you need 25 the bottom line is is that they might have some over overheads for their companies, but when it comes to printing, I'm I'm printing with someone very good. Um, they do lots of work for Mac. They do lots of other books as well. I found the printer who did Alex Soft's songbook. Uh, they're yeah, a printer based in Turkey. It's beautiful, right? Yeah, right. I went to the, I went to the website. They're gone, man. They're gone. The no website way. doesn't. The website's there, but all the social media's been stripped out. They've been deleted. The emails don't. They don't reply. They bounce back, which is really tragic because I really love the way I've got it right here, but. I love the way the photos, and you'll know what I'm talking about now. My last book had lots of different paper stocks, glossy, uncoated, and then the transparency sheets. But what I like about Songbook is the way the photographs just sit on the paper. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. It's like if you look at a magazine, a glossy magazine, it's all one with the page. There's no separation. What I want to do again with this next book is there's something beautiful about where the photos just sit and you can see them. It's just, oh, that's, that's the bee's knees, man. Talk yeah. to me about this this new book. Um, so I'm going to butcher the name of it because I'm a dyslexic. So it's <laughs> well, I want to hear this. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> I apologise in advance, Ed. In a garda de England. Sure, sure. Yeah, that's good. But that, that you that's don't good. look impressed. <laughs> no, no, like, I am. That's good. No, I've I've had no. So again, I'm, I'll get a bit weird now on you. A little bit weird. I'll, I'll, I'll dial down the weird. No, no, dial up the weird. Let's no, no, dial no. up the weird. No, man, I've got, I'm, I'm like, I have the same birthday as Tom Waits, which means I need to milk the weird my entire life because I'm gradually <laughs> going to get weirder. Okay. Listen, so, Ed, we tend to end up talking about aliens and like parallel universes and stuff. So you can go full weird. Yeah, go oh, well, weird. Ed. Well, go just weird. remember, you're talking to ET now. Just remember that. So, <laughs> um, <laughs> When I published my first crowdfunded book, which is Occupy London, it, 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 I mean, I'm, I'm still pretty, pretty much a nobody, really. Let's be straight now in the photo world. Like, no one still knows who I am. I, I don't really go to many festivals or private those. I'm not, in, I'm not on the circuit, you know? Which is criminal, by the way. I think everybody should know who you it are. Doesn't, right? It's fine. It doesn't matter. Because, like, again, we go to Eugene Smith, the work is the reward, and that's cutting through to it. That's why I want to make this book. Basically, this book is my legacy. Mm. Um, I've worked for 20 years with medium format, 120 cameras, but square format, starting with my little super icon to here, which I got in a, a little secondhand camera shop in Folkestone. And then after six years of shooting that, getting a Bronicrest QA. And the real amazing thing about the book is that it's shot over 20 years, but yet the photos look like they were all made at the same time somehow I've managed to keep my style somehow, even subconsciously without realizing it because I wasn't really thinking about it at the time. I was just shooting, right? Um, the work, again, my first award. So my first award was um, 
at the Sony World Photo Awards in 2019 after 19 years of being a photographer. And it was for an edit of this work. And the judge, Mike Trow, said that um, they saw it. They thought they were really blown away because they thought, oh, was this all done recently? Then they saw the time. They was like, holy shit, it was shot over 20 years. And I think for a long time, I strived to find my style. And the weird thing is, is that I had it the whole time. Yeah, it, was, of, it was always there, right, Ed? It was always yeah. there. Like yeah. it's just, just, just. I suppose it's in the edit and finding it, right? It, it, and it takes. I think it takes twenty years just to even begin to realize who you are as a photographer and what what even photography means, right? Like mm. I know I've struggled with that that same question, and I'm. It's, it's a really difficult one, but it. it I, I think you. Like somebody said, I think I was listening to Sasha Wolf speak. She wrote that PhotoWorks book where she asked, you know, and. Uh, I think she said that um, your work has always been your work and your the, the pictures you take, they'll always be a part of you in those photos. And it's just being able to find find those images that represent who you are as a person. And, and that, that I think you, you have to grow up as a, as a person to find that out as well, right? It takes a lot of living. To, and even now, I suppose, I don't know the answer, but it, 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 it it's... I don't know what the answer, but what the word I'm looking for, but it's, it's, it's confusing. It's a really difficult task. I think it's easier for the moneyed photographers who all they do is satisfy themselves because all the photos they ever have are just what they do. So it's mm-hmm. easy for them to get that quick overview. Whereas for me, like I've taken hundreds of thousands of digital photos, so many, all in between the years of doing this work. And a lot of this work, some of it was just street photography that I'd shoot and it would get shoved in a drawer or other bits. So it never really got that kind of day in the sun, you know, so it never was really seen. And it was then only going back. Um, and really going back, a lot of it was to do with the B word, Brexit, because so many of the themes of Brexit to do with the rise of nationalism, uh, the use of nostalgia as a means to kind of trigger people and pull them into kind of like narratives which weren't necessarily true, um, sort of xenophobia, um, everyday life, like eccentrics, eccentricities and all that kind of shit in class. Well, that that's kind of was also a guiding principle for me putting the book together. But yeah, bottom line is, man, at the moment, I'll be straight. It's It's pretty scary because with The Unseen, I was 33% crowdfunded in day one. Um, I set a long campaign for this book because I knew it would be a tough sell um, because it doesn't really have an underpinned ideology. Like all my infrared book, as well as being shot in infrared, it was a lot of it was to do with like climate change and radiation and all kinds of mad shit. You know, it was like, it, it was my apocalypse book, basically. It was where, like a grip. Sorry, where, where do you think your ideas come from? Have you got lots of ideas all the time and you're working on lots of projects or, got, or you do what? <laughs> Right in this drawer right now, I've got two book dummies, one for my English Defence League book, one for my Dungeness book, made, like, sequenced, ready to go. I've got all my old archive ready to go. But again, just coming back to the crowdfunder, um, it's been going for two weeks now, and I'm only as funded as I was for, like, day one with my Unseen book. And what I was trying to say was that the reason is is that my fucking unseen, my, my inner guard of the England book is literally about the soul of England and my own soul. I've done a Q&A with David Camp and he was a really like top kind of oh, okay, critic. But he didn't say much, but I freaking went for it because it was an email Q&A and I couldn't see his face. So I just went full tilt boogie, man. I say crazy shit. And the bottom line is, is that that's what this book's really about. I shot this book from the age of 20 to 40 in the summer of my own lifetime. Okay. I cannot stress how much that means to me. 
and the the universe is so wonderful because I'm struggling to find 150 people to buy a fucking copy of it. Can I so, can I ask you a question? <laughs> if if your uh, your twin daughters did you say daughters your twin daughters come across your book in when they're 18, what do you think? What do you think they'll think when they look at it? I've been thinking about this, right? Now, I say I've gone full tilt, but you haven't. I've still held a bit back, okay? And I'm saying about the whole Tom Waits thing, like, when I say full tilt boogie, like, my observations are justified in reality. Like, they're not wackadoo. They're smart. And they're, they're something that I've been someone, being a photographer, for 20 years every day, from the moment I wake up to the moment I fall asleep. That's how far down the rabbit hole is. Out of the 30 people who did my degree 20, 20 years ago, I'm the last one, right? There's something obviously crazy about that. Can I, and can that's I, obviously why you did that. I've just, I just thought of something, honestly, while we're speaking. And you know what it is, right? You need, you need to do some kind of video where you get somebody interviewing you, whether it's Dan, Dan can do it, because you're so passionate about the work. And, you know, I think... Text is great for, for saying this is what the work is about and this is why I'm doing it. But you, you, you don't get any of that passion and you're so passionate about your project. that I, And I can just see it by talking to you for 15 minutes, how much it means to you, that you've, you've got to use that. You've got to you utilize that. You've got to, like, it's, it's almost like, I'm good, we, like we, we, we've got to help him, Dan, right? <laughs> like, because, like, I think photography is a solid, you know, you're kind of a lonely pursuit, right? Like, you pretty much, you do the work. Yeah, you sit down, you look at it, and you're like, "Fuck, what have I shot? I have no idea." And you're like, "Oh," but like because you care so much about your project, and you care about it's twenty, it's twenty years of your fucking life. It's a big period of time that for you to get. I'm trying to say, for you to get that passion out, not just by writing and using Kickstarter, you gotta you gotta be interviewed and and talk about why it means so much to you, and put that video on Kickstarter and put it on Twitter, and you know we'll help you get it out to us. Our small collection of, but we'll help. Like we definitely of will. Course. I think Thank there you. is a video, isn't there, Ed? I'm sure there I saw a, a video. There, there is a video, but it's similar to my last um, crowdfunding video, which is kind of cool. Yeah, I think maybe it's too cool. I think you should go to the heart, man. I think I think because you because you, you care so much, you know. And I think when you do that work and and you feel so strongly about it, and it comes from inside, right? It's like how you see this crazy planet. I think, I, I think the main thing I'm up against, man, is just that my genre documentary is just so... I mean, I've always been unfashionable, right? I was getting into documentary in, like, the late 90s and noughties with the height of the YBAs and conceptual photography. Like, it's just... The main fight, really, is just that, you know, when I was crowdfunding The Unseen, there was a pop book that was kicking my butt for funding, and it was basically a guy photographing dogs in swimming pools. <laughs> and here I am trying to do oh, this. Like, so gutting as I'm well, trying to do. I'm trying to do this like grimoire about fucking the apocalypse to save the world and do all this shit, and I can't fucking you know whatever. And it's a similar thing now. I see lots of books on Kickstarter that are just blowing up, and it's just like it's it's like a puppet show, you know. And then there's me being like, this is like the soul. This is like soul, man. Um, I, but there we go. I, I mean, I hope that people at least hear our chat and can hear that passion. I know that immediately when I saw it, the first thing I do was I sort of threw money at my at my computer screen the second your name popped up with that Kickstarter. I was straight in there. But but yeah, I, I hope I hope people hear this and I hope people go back it because like the book's going to be fucking amazing. Uh, I'm going to turn this around. This edit. Um, this is inside baseball that nobody listening even cares about but i'm literally telling you i'm going to try and get this out this friday 
Just I want it yeah. out as soon you know as possible. What's funny is that number twenty six. Is it? Is it? Yeah. Will I be twenty six? Yeah. When yeah. I the last podcast I did was five years ago. It was a small voice podcast with with Ben, and I was yeah, number yeah. twenty seven, and I felt really cool because I was like twenty seven club. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, twenty six. But anyway, this is a book dummy. I've got loads of book dummies here in my pinball machine. I don't know if you can see them. Yeah. But, yeah. Um, when I make a book dummy. It's like really punk rock. You know, you get people who sew all the pages together and they get a little thing in there. So, so, so. The way I do a book dummy, right? You get the pages, you chop it down, you fucking get a hacksaw, you saw lines in the end, you stick a load of glue on it, you shove that over it. I made a homemade book press out of two chopping boards from Range or Home Bargains or whatever, put some wing nut screws in it, and hey presto, like, like you don't even bother putting a cover on because all you're really interested in is the sequencing and the layout and the size. That is really punk rock. I like yeah. it. So I've got piles of them, but then this one I went a bit proper. It's still the same way, but this is like how, you know, the scale of how big the book's going to be. It's going to be quite big. So this is about 11 inches square. So look at that, man. That's pretty, pretty killer. That is cool. But anyway, um, where was I going? Um, yeah, the, the saddest thing is I got that book dummy. And like, you know, you wouldn't believe how hard it is just to email someone and say, hey, can I show you my book? It's just so depressing. Like, I've sort of lost count of over the years how many people I've reached out to and just silence. And even with the even with this book, I've, I I won't mention names, but there's organisations that I've done things with over the years that I thought we right. were cool. And I've been like, hey man, could you maybe put something on your social media for me, or could I do an article for you? And it's just like a bounce back email, being like, yeah, we only accept projects where our views align, um, and we don't align right now. <laughs> what the fuck man i'm just asking you to share a fucking tweet like i don't know social media's really changed i swear it was it was a lot easier to go viral with my infrared work and my occupy work whereas this time around everyone seems very like you know these these things on instagram where people want you to pay to share your fucking work and it's like isn't that the point of social media but it's like what the fuck man You, you you're gonna get my work for free and i pay you share it this reminds me of the days i used to be in like punk bands and stuff and there were venues like that where they would want pay and like, pay, to play. pay to play yeah i know i know they'd be like oh you're gonna sell 200 tickets for us it's like what you want me to play in but fuck nowhere on a tuesday night to zero people and you think i'm gonna bring 200 people along like, you i don't know understand. man you get to play but fuck nowhere <laughs> I've, I've heard of that place i've heard a lot of people play there. <laughs> by the way i was watching the timer Ed. i think you swore about 19 minutes in <laughs> <laughs> i haven't sworn yet boys that's a lie i'm sure you have <sighs> I, I wasn't i wasn't timing you but yeah yeah it's that that is mad isn't it it's, it's so difficult to find an audience i think i mean obviously we've got like seven eight hundred listeners and Hopefully, at least a few of you listening will, will go and back Ed on his Kickstarter. Because Ed, I'm going ba- to back you. Thank you. Here's the just... bottom line, right? Realistically, there's 500 copies, yeah? See, see those boxes behind me? My legs are just fucking thrown in there, right? They're just fucking thrown in there. It's a fucking nightmare. When I was coming up, I couldn't afford to get contact sheets made. They just piled up fucking high. There's a joke video on my Instagram where I'm like, hey, curators, you better fucking contact me now because when I'm dead, they're going to be fucking ruined. I'm literally holding my negatives to ransom. So the upside of getting the book <laughs> is like, you know what? My girl's grown up. They're not fucking going to keep that shit. That's going in the skip when I'm dead. So anyone who's got this book, 500 copies, man, shit, you know, who knows? So it could be an investment is what I'm trying to get at. So <laughs> might not be too bad. I think it is an investment, Ed. Come on. <laughs> I don't have the Occupy book. I don't know if you've got any copies of that laying around, but 
I've got like one or two, but that's all the ones that are left. But again, this is the really crazy thing is the 10 year anniversary, like on October the 13th. And my plan was to Friday, October the 13th. Maybe my plan was to do this book in the Garden of England. And then the second book would be the same size book. And I was going to start a whole series of books in the same format and it'd sit together on a shelf. That'd be great. But then the downside now is, is that this Kickstarter has been so slow I can't fucking do another book straight away. 60% of the people funding my book are people I fucking know, you know? Like, I can't expect them to fund, like, my next book. They won't. They'll be like, oh, we funded your last book and that's it. But anyway, my plan was to do a 10-year anniversary proper big book. Um, I might have a stab at the end of Occupy, which was February of 2011, uh, 2022, rather, uh, 2012. So I might have a, sh- just depending on how this goes, I might have a shot at just crowdfunding for shits and giggles, a re edit of my Occupy book, which was the longest series I ever shot on digital. I shot 5,000 freaking photos on Occupy. I've got an amazing archive of work. I've got all the arrests, the riot police at the end. I've got crazy stuff. I've got squats being evicted. I've got mad stuff. I got a bailiff guy driving down the road of an Occupy on his freaking bonnet. Um, but, um, it's just one of those tricky things in, in my dreamland head. I thought, well, I'll do the Eng- I'll do the England book, and that will I'll get that done, and then I'll go for the ideological ideological angle, occupy thing, get funded, and anyway, long story short, but no, there aren't any copies left then. But maybe I don't get it yet. Maybe it takes another ten years, and in the twentieth anniversary, then I put the book out. But in my head, I really I would have loved to have done like a re-edition of this size. But it's just it's just one of those tricky things, man. You just got to also be realistic. Is that um. I hope yeah. our book nerd listeners are clamoring over buying this book now because yeah. I also want a copy of the Occupy book. So yeah, <laughs> hopefully, is, hopefully this is. will fund it and I can throw some more money at you for this. Hey, did you say you photographed? Was it Butlins or Pontins? Where was it? Like you said, it wasn't even that good, man. I was I was a holiday camp photographer at a non-named chain of holiday camps in New Beach and uh, New Romney, Marley Sands, and the Isle of Sheppey. Is that how um, you started the Isle of Sheppey? That's yeah, um, basically, I, I, um, I've got a really weird sort of creation myth. I got lots of them, actually. I think I'm not sure which one's real at this point. I've said so many of them on podcasts. <laughs> You're like the Joker. You I just got all the these jo- different, all I'm these different go, stories. I'm going to go with this one. So, um, yeah, I, uh, I was in my first year and I saw a poster about our, our photo festival. I was like, oh, it's a photo festival. I sent some work in and I got picked. And it's the start of the second year and off I'm going to Arl, hang out in Arl crazy photo festival through the eyes of a 20 year old hanging out with all these crazy Russian photographers and famous photographers there, wild, wild stuff. Um, where was I, where was I going with this again? Your origin story. One yeah, of your origin what was, story. What was the, what was the, what was the payoff? Where was I going with this? <laughs> oh yeah. So anyway, so yeah, I, anyway, I did all that shit, right? I did all that shit. Yeah. Great. Wonderful. I was all going to be fine. Um, ended up going to meet this Russian photographer in Paris, slept on this floor of his studio for three weeks on a marble floor with no blanket, just getting pissed with him on red wine and eating like fried pig fat, meeting up with this Magnum photographer, Pinkasov, going with him to the Magnum headquarters in Paris after hours and looking through loads of eggs. It was a wild kind of adventure. Then I came back. I did my third year. We had no fucking help. I had no portfolio. We graduated. I didn't bother going to my graduation ceremony. I stayed um, and worked the bar at our campus where I dropped some magic mushrooms. And I thought everyone was aliens running at me as I was trying to serve them beers. Then Tracy Evans turned up. I'm pretty sure she turned up again. I, I think this is real. Anyway, um, but the long story short was I graduated and you're trying to be these artists, right? It was the time that, oh, you're an artist. You're not photography, you're an artist. And I graduated and I couldn't get any freaking work. And I'm at the job center 
and I'm seeing these jobs come up. There's nothing there. There's HGV driver or care nurse, and I've got I can't do either. And then a job came up at the holiday camp, and I took it. And it was really amazing for me on an ego level. It was almost like one of my shamanic ego deaths. I've had lots of shamanic ego deaths over the years, but this is definitely one of them. When I'm thinking I'm this fucking big shot photographer because I've been to this photo festival as like a 22-year-old, and now I've got this guy haggling with me over the price of the photo of his daughter sitting on the knee of a man dressed as a giant rabbit, and he doesn't want to pay five quid for it. He's getting me down to three quid. And you know what I do? I go, well, thank you, sir. Yeah, three pounds. That'll be fine. Thank you. Have a good evening. Thank you, sir. And it made me realize the real, real value of photography. It's like, to us, we can build this thing up into this amazing, mythic, fucking important thing that's the meaning of our lives. But ultimately, you know what, guys? It's just photography. It's just photography. So it's also trying to make those two things connect. You know, like, if it wasn't for photography, I wouldn't be in this house right now if my daughter's upstairs because I met my wife um, at an art fair, right? Before you were going to say that you marry Isla Sheppy. <laughs> she was in a rabbit costume. <laughs> she, she was that rabbit. She was that rabbit. But the thing was, is that, um, yeah, so it's this weird paradigm where you have to accept that, yes, it can be the meaning of your life, but it also is just photography. And I think where that's a lot of older photographers get go wrong. And you see them at like big, like Photo London, things like that. Everyone's walking around. It's just like, you know, did you find the cancer cure? Is that why you're proud? You cured cancer, right? Like, what? Oh, you, oh, you took photos of what? Oh, okay. Yeah, cool. And then you've got people running around being like, oh, it's amazing. You take the photos with your hands really well. Yeah, I took photos with my hands. Yeah. <laughs> well, you used your hands. Um, so anyway, I don't know. I'm being facetious now. But the bottom line is, is that, yeah, it's that weird thing where, again, you can get kind of caught up with it because you're so into it all and you're so in love with it and focused on it. But the bottom line is we are in a world and there are other things. And yeah, I just don't don't uh, get too big for your boots because the universe will just come and smack you down. And that's part of the fun too. Well, you said that was like one of your big ego death moments. I'm, I'm assuming there must be some other amazing stories there. I, I can't, I can't get into the one at Glastonbury. I can't. That's, that's for the book. That's for the book. That's, right, for, okay. another, that's for another book later on, but it involved the exorcist. Involved right. The okay. Exorcist. I've got a photo somewhere of me posing with the rabbit mascot shot on the Isle of Sheppey. And uh, I look really proud. And why not? Why not? I was earning money at least. You know, I was getting paid. Was that your first pro gig? Pretty much, yeah. Yeah. I I worked, it was a hair salon. I worked for a chain, a little chain of hair salons, like just doing some workshop medium format at the end or during the first year. And then, yeah, and then graduation and that's it. But my God, you know, like I said, I've never turned down a job and I've done everything. Now, you guys were mentioning about weddings, right? A lot of people will turn their nose up at weddings, but the bottom line is a wedding is a true test of any photographer because it's all there. Your detail shots, you know, product, whatever, your cake. You've got reportage moments happening, life in the act of living. You've got the portrait shot, which you have to freaking smash because if you don't get that, then you're not going to get the bride and groom at the end of the night. They're going to look smashed as well. So you have to make sure you get it right early. It's a one-off event. They're walking by and you don't get it. I had a couple the other night that were so fucking hammered that the groom could barely stand. I've been, I've been, I photographed a wedding where there was a mechanical bull and everybody had nosebleeds. (laughs) Oh my God. Oh my God. On the table next to me was a guy who ran a strip club in East London and his wife, um, who used to work there, but now they're quite old. Um, it was just a mad, and it's one of the, one of the weddings that really put me off weddings because at the end of the, 
jobs, a couple being really weird. And they started asking very interesting requests of the edits. The first little request was that one of their sons had very ginger hair and he was self-conscious about it. So I need to Photoshop his hair less ginger. That boy was eight years old. And you know what? I don't think he had the problem with his hair. Next up was the group shot they picked where someone was swearing like that, but doing it in front of someone's face. And I had to Photoshop their swearing finger out of someone's eye. If you fucking tried to do that before, I had to find the guy's face from another (laughs) photograph and bring him in. You know, that's that's the problem with wedding is you'll, you'll come across a bride and groom that are incredibly irrational or did yes, you have a needy bride or there's, there's something that doesn't matter how good you are. They're just going to, you know, you deliver the images and they're just going to go, ah. (laughs) (laughs) I've, I've had one or two strange requests, but I think my, my couples have been pretty good to be honest with you. Oh, but how many have you had? How many have you had? Uh, 20 something. So not, not that many. Well, yeah, I, I think I was I was into probably forty numbers before I hit that couple who really derailed me, right. and then from that point on, it was like re- fr- really good friends who asked, and I was, mm, yeah, I'll do it, but I don't know. I don't but, think you. Like, I, I don't think today as a photographer you can turn anything down, can you? Like I think it's almost impossible. You've just got to take, take, take whatever you can get and build relationships. That's kind of how it works, I think. Yeah, the, the, the only thing I've got going for me now is I have no time. Right. My wife works three days a week. I work three days a week. We have Sunday off together. I get jobs come in, which I'll fit around in the evening or maybe somehow do on the Sunday. Um, and what I do now is I just, I just ask for more money than I think they'll give me. Like the hard part as a freelancer is that line of thinking, fuck, I need this fucking money. They've asked me for a quote. If I go over, I might not get it. If I go under, they might not think I'm good. They'll go for the person who's pitched higher thinking they're better, which they might not be, but fuck, and then what do you do, you know? Um, whereas I had a gig come in, I was just like, fuck it, yeah, that amount. <laughs> if I don't get it, I fucked anyway because I've got no time. I'm exhausted. And I got it. So I shot that evening. It was good and I got paid some good money. But that's the luxury of the moment. At the moment, I still have the part-time teaching, which has helped things to tick over. But I did spend that first 15 years just purely freelancing. Um, but yeah, it's it's tough, man. It is really tough. I think people don't really under people underestimate just how freaking hard it is. But the point is, this is why you do a bit of everything, man. You sell your prints, you do some PR work, you do some portraiture work, you try and get some editorial work. You you know, do other little bits and bobs, man. And it, it kind of all slowly. I mean, I haven't looked for work for five years now since teaching because I had no time really, and I've just picked up little gigs now and again. So again, it's. Um, the, the person you work for at a certain magazine, they'll leave and go somewhere else. The woman you met from that little charity with homeless people, she goes off to work for a bigger charity and remembers you. And four years later, you get the call. That person you went to uni with who remembers you, she calls you up 10 years later being, hey, you know, if you didn't go to uni, it was someone you went to school with. And you're like, oh, aren't you into photography? Oh, let's have a look at your website. So, yeah. Um, Has teaching changed your, your view on anything? Because I imagine being around you must get such a mixed bag. I actually know one of your students. I think we were talking about talking about him the other week, but um, you must get such a mixed bag of people that are doing it because they don't know what else to do. People that are doing it because they just live and breathe it kind of like you do. Like, yeah. But, but as a student, I did it because I didn't know what else to do. I took a year out. I was working fucking selling sh- suits in a really shitty change suit shop the year before I went to uni. I got to uni through clearing. I'd always done a bit of photography, but I didn't fucking know. Do you know what I mean? Um, yeah. 
I think for me, the big turning point was, you know, I used to use a lot of substances and I stopped in the first year of uni and I started really focusing on my photography. And I think that's, that was the trade-off for me. I, I replaced one sort of addiction with another addiction, but in a more positive way and a, a more focused way. And um, sadly, I'm, I'm 40 now and I know some of the guys back then who have basically thrown their lives away and 20 years have passed and it's, it's utterly, utterly tragic. And I think that's the hard thing I've seen in more of a kind of a working class sort of area is people not realising like it's all well and good just to sit around and get stoned or whatever you're doing. But like all the time you're doing that, you're not doing it. You're just doing that. And you might be sitting there and telling yourself all these cool stories about what you're going to do. But if you don't put that joint down and get right. the fuck out the door, you're yeah, not doing any of it. Right. And then one day it'll dawn on you and it'll be too fucking late, man. There's a cool, I mean, I was just listening to Muse to get a bit pumped because I was exhausted before this <laughs> podcast started. I'm so it's grateful really, that you've joined us as well. There's a cool thing where it's like, um, I think it's the song where it's like the Kung Fu Western music video. And it says, don't waste your time or time will waste you. And that's the truth, man. Like it comes back around. And for me, for the love nor money, like I've got a big archive of stories I shot back in the day. I felt I could have done more, but you know what? Some days I woke up with that camera and the thought of going out the door and having someone shout at me for photographing them, I just couldn't face it. I just couldn't bring myself to be subjected to that kind of abuse because yeah, and it just, it'd be hard. It'd be hard. So in a weird way, I probably could have shot more if I was in a, a stronger place but then the weird thing with my work, and I mentioned this in the book, in the Q&A, is that anxiety, that tension, I believe, abuse my work of a certain magic, a certain drama. Because even in a position where there's no drama, I'm, I'm conflicted. And that conflict comes through in the images. Even if it's just like a normal fucking boring scene, somehow that drama, that weirdness is there, that tension. It's what Salvador Dali referred to as paranoia critical. Lots of artists, they have this weird way of describing it, but it was my way of sort of channeling my my anxiety. But um, yeah, I'm pretty pretty highly strung, as you can probably tell, but I was, I was more highly strung when I was younger even. I, I get I get what you mean about that tension. Like, I, I can see that in your work and it comes across incredibly quickly. Did you always have that kind of creative then I know you said you kind of found photography at the college age because you wasn't sure what else to do, but were you always creating something? Like you strike me as the kind of guy that was probably a musician at some point. I've got a guitar here. I bought it. Do you know why? Do you know why I bought it? I bought it because it had a kill switch on it, but look at the brand. Can you read the brand? Well, I can't, I can't read it. Photogenic. Photogenic. <laughs> Why is everything in arm's reach for you, Ed? You keep mentioning things and then two seconds later. I used to do Wing Chun. I used to do Kung Fu and everyone used to call me Uber arms because I could punch you really far because I've got very long arms. So I've got, I can get in there. He's like coming a, through the screen. You've anyway, got Mary um, Poppins, like bag. But, but, yeah. <laughs> like Mary Poppins room. But the thing is, is um, no, I think what, what university gave me, which is why I've managed to stand the test of time, is it taught me how to have ideas and make projects, right? A lot of people will be derogatory of photojournalists or documentary photographers because they'll be like, oh, you're not very imaginative. Oh, there's a photographer. She glues wigs onto dogs and puts them up poles. And it's about um, the climate. And she's so imaginative. And what do you do? You just walk around and point your camera at things in the real world. And it's yeah, like, just what the fuck, man? Like, we put stories together. We go somewhere and we meet someone who talks to someone else. We do a shot of the house and then and we start doing stuff. But yeah, the, the bottom line was, yeah, 
projects, man. I've just, I've got, I've got oodles. I've got oodles of ideas. Um, I don't know when the fuck I'm going to do them. I've had so many ideas. I've started it on the back burn. All the research is done. I've been trying to make, I want to, I started trying to make a documentary film just as COVID hit, which I still want to finish, which is kind of tied into my work and what I've learned over the years as a photographer. So tell um, us but, about the documentary film. Cause well, I was about fucking, to ask actually, yeah. have you ever like tried other mediums? No. But I love film. The reason I studied photography was I couldn't afford to study film. Back in the late 90s, film was all film, not digital. And that meant film, film, as in you had to shoot on like 16 mil or 35 or 8 mil, whatever. It was fucking expensive. So I chose to study a photography degree because I knew Stanley Kubrick was a photographer. Ridley Scott was a photographer. Lots of great directors were photographers. And I thought, if I go that route, maybe I'll get a foot into the like, film industry that way. I didn't, of course, but within one year of studying, I was exhibiting at the world's most famous fine art photo festival. So I thought, you know what? Maybe I'm meant to be a photographer. But the bottom line is, man, I love film. I love documentaries. And uh, my best man at my wedding, he's a great director of photography. He works with freaking everyone, features, Netflix, Amazon, you name it. But he's really always fucking busy. And he shot a day for me as a, as a favor in September last year, part of my doc. You know what? Motherfucker still hasn't sent me the fucking stuff. I sent a hard drive to his house. He still hasn't managed to get that on a fucking hard drive and post it to me. And it's a realization like the cool thing about being a photographer, I can pick up that camera and I can just do it. And that was the good thing about being, especially a documentary guy. I don't know any models. I don't know any, you know, I couldn't blag of like maybe a hotel. I couldn't have been a fashion photographer per se in that way. But with photojournalism, man, you just have to have the will and a camera and go get it. The hard part of trying to make this doc is like, I need someone to film it. How the fuck am I going to make that happen? I'm going to have to do sound. Do I teach myself how to do sound? Like, what the fuck? So at the moment, it's just on hold. Because also, I have no time, dude. This time I'm chatting with you is my only time in the week. The girls go to bed about 7.30. They mess around for half an hour. My wife and I, maybe, yeah, we have from 8 till 10. And then we go to bed. And then either I'm at work or I'm looking after the twins. And like, you, you can't do fuck all, man. I mean, it's, I'm just saying it's lovely, but I can't sit and read a book. Like, that oh, ain't happening. How old are the twins, Ed? Two and a half. Two and a half, okay. So, and we don't have childcare. We have, um, we have like, na- like a nursery they go to, like, one morning each a week. So, all my Ross is at work. She gets a chunk of time, and I get a chunk of time. So, my chunk's Friday morning for five hours, and that started two weeks ago. So, holy moly, like... One thing I've really realized is I procrastinated my entire life. Until I had kids, I didn't realize I just sat around my thumb up my fucking ass. Whereas now when I get some time, um, the only thing I'd advise people is you've got to have your list because otherwise that time comes and you're sort of frozen. Like, what the fuck do I do? <laughs> and the hard part being a documentary photographer is I realized going forward, my, how I used to work is might not work anymore. Because being a documentary photographer, I could meet someone and say, hey, Ed, I'd say, hey, Charlie, say, hey, do you want to go to the moon with us? We're going to the fucking moon. I'd be like, yes, Charlie, I'll come to the moon with you. And me and Charlie would go to the fucking moon and it wouldn't, I wouldn't matter. And now it's like, hey, Charlie, I'll go to the moon with you. Can we be back by like 10? Is, is this another mushrooms thing? Is this Charlie wearing a rabbit costume? <laughs> don't, don't. That, look, right, I think you should apologize to Charlie right now. That was way out of line. <laughs> um, Who's Charlie? <laughs> but but, but the, the moral of the story is, is that moving forward, I need to find a more disciplined way of making work. So okay. that, but the and hard this... part is, the hard part is, is that let's say, you know what it's like, if you arrange to meet someone for your documentary project, yeah, yeah. 
they might they might they're gonna say no not today or it's gonna change to a tuesday which you can't do so anyway i'm glad it did the amount of work that i've got when i'm fucking 40 or i am 40 it's too late when i'm 50 uh, maybe then i start trying to do my archive but it is really good work um but for now i think moving forward yeah i'm gonna try and I've got some really quirky projects I can make on my own terms, which are kind of quasi-documentary. They're not being, I'm not being a dick about it. It's still real. <laughs> I'm not doing this weird blurring the line thing in front of the internet at the moment where they're like, oh, it's real. No, it's not. It's real. No, it's not. Whereas I'm going to be, it's real, but it's real fucking trippy. And it's sort of, it's experiment. It's exp- I, don't, I don't want to spoil it, but yeah, I've got some cool ideas that I can still shoot, but just my, my time for that kind of work is over for now. Like, I, want no see way. Doc, I want to see this doc happen. Like, I mean, you were talking about the different people you need and I'm sure that somewhere in our larger network, we can help you out of some of that stuff. You were saying you needed someone to help you out of the sound. I can definitely help you out of the sound. I used to, I used to do sound engineering. So I know the most amazing video team like you've ever met in your life. Like my, my, our mate Roman. Um, yeah, we got a really good team of people that we work with. Maybe we can sort out, or, you know, we can help, definitely help. I, I bought like a book on guerrilla filmmaking up there because the other big thing is, is about like, what the fuck do you do? Like I know how not to get fucked over in the photo industry because I got fucked over so much. I don't want to go into another industry and then we start getting fucked over. So the point is also, um, you know, it's thinking, thinking ahead to distribution or how it's going to be or what we're going to do. The bottom line also is, is that it's kind of a new thing for me. And this is why I'm kicking myself. My friend hasn't sent me the rushes yet for what we filmed because I want to know how I fucked up. You know, I said how I make mistakes quickly. Yeah, like, yeah. I'm sure I made loads of mistakes when we were doing that filming. That's <clears> maybe why he won't send it to me because, like, Ed, you're, you look like a, you're a fucking bellend, Ed. You look like a dick. It's like, yeah, well, maybe I do. But if I see what went wrong... And I can rectify it and the next time I won't make those mistakes, man. It's like, you know, rinse, repeat, let's, let's go for it. Yeah, 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 definitely. But it's, it's really trippy, man. Like I'm, I, it's, it's like esoteric. It has some weird shit in there. Um, it's really out there, man. It's really cool. But again, it's justified. And the weird well, thing is a photographer, I've got evidence. I have photos. I have fucking photos and the, the, I don't want to give anything away, but the field that I'm going into is hard. Because lots of people who do these kinds of experiments, they do them in what's called a controlled environment. And when they're in a controlled environment, the weird shit doesn't happen. My whole thing as a photographer is I'm out in the fucking field. And what I've got kind of, in a weird way, proves certain things. And then I stumbled across this like lost book by this dead German um, writer who, who it never got published in English, but then I found guys who translated it, but then one of them's already dead and the other guy is like in his eighties and I've been emailing him. So he's kind of playing ball and it all culminates with this dude who developed this amazing theory, but they found him dead up a mountain with a bullet hole in his left head, but the gun in his right hand and he was right-handed. So someone probably killed him. So it's got a murder mystery in it. It's this fucking insane story. I feel it like just, you're about to go on a treasure hunt. It's but I'm Annika Rice. That's <laughs> Jumping out of the helicopter now, he's in. <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> but anyway, the bottom line is is that what I want to try and do with the doc is that it's quite cerebral. In a weird way, the people I'm interviewing, some of them are academics, but it's going to be fun. I want it to be fun and a trip. I don't want it to be crazy. Like, whoa, what the you know what is going on? What the fuck is this? Like, I want it to be. I want it to trip people out basically in a really cool way. But again, like, I don't know what I'm doing. I've never done anything like this before in my life, but I think it'd be really fun. And as you can tell, again, this it's it's exciting. It's also exciting because it's kind of scary. Um, so there we go. 
come on people go and back this one listen listen to this stuff they're just saying about that surely we need that in our lives as well right so the quicker we back this one the quicker we quicker we can move on to that one as well <laughs> I, just, I just need like a, a whole shelf of ed books that's yeah. what i want yeah that's what i want well we'll see i've been trying to reach out to um What's his face? You know, the guy from My Name is Earl, um, Jason Lee, because he started this film photographic thing. He's been publishing photo books. Yeah, and he's he doing, was like a skateboarder. He's he like was, a photographer. He was, and this is something I like, is, is that when you've mastered something, you can kind of master other stuff. So he did the pro skating, he did the acting, now he's doing his photography. And I emailed him because there's a weird overlap. The first time I ever did street photography in my life, street portraiture and street photography, was in Galveston, Texas on a family holiday, right? His next book is on Galveston. And I just thought that was a cool little connection. Also, if you know my work, my biggest influences as a student were Diane Arbus and Joel Sternfeld. If you look at my Inner Guarded England book, you will fucking see that through and through. And I just thought, he's American. They would dig it. And of course, he doesn't get back to me. Of course, he doesn't get back to me. But I've been trying desperately to find like magazines in America or photo organizations in America to just contact because I think they would dig this, man. Like some of my photos, they look really American, but they're not. It's really trippy. But they're all gone. Photo District News has closed down last year. I think the New York Times closed their lens blog. Like I can't, I've, I'm emailed Twitter. I put Twitter, I emailed Twitter. How old am I? What the fuck is wrong? <laughs> I posted on Twitter saying, does anyone know any photo organizations in America? And 12 hours later, not one fucking reply. Um, I don't know. It's a weird question, Mike. Because you know, obviously, great, do you know, do you know the Flack Photo Group? In I, I posted about my book on there uh, last night. And you know what? Someone bought the book today, and I, I had a new follower, and he said I'm in the most northeast, north northeast of England. And I just messaged him Tripoli, just saying, "Hey, man, I'm in the most south southeast of England." And then he got back saying, yeah, I bought your book. And I was like, you motherfucker. But I didn't say that. I said, awesome, dude. And uh, he said, I saw it on Flack Photos. So I did that, man. So that's it. Thank you. But yeah. I tried that last night and I sold one book. So all I need to do is find another 138 Flack Photos or equivalents. And I can get this fucking book made. Have you thought about NFTs? Have you seen this guy's this twin flames thing? Have you read about it and seen what he's done with the work? My friend who's doing an illustration for the book, um, his name's Paul Jackson. And in one evening with his illustration, he made $700,000 in NFTs. This was at the start of the year. And n- no lie, I emailed the, pe- the website, whatever the people right away, being like, I don't know. And I was like, what am I doing? And it's just like, just, it was just sickening, such a sickening amount of money. It was like, Bleh! I would have to work for like, what? I think I worked, I'd have to work for 55 years teaching to get that money. <laughs> You know, do you know Brian Formals? Have you heard of his name? In- I have, I have. So I was speaking. I was having a conversation with Brian last week, and and he, and he thinks that it, it, it's not, um, it's not like you know, if you're a photographer, you're and you're putting on a single image. He reckons it's by putting a body of work, so like a consistent. So, for instance, in your recent book, you'd put like sixty of the images or fifty of the images. And you mint each individual one of those images and you make collections. And that actually is going to, Web 3 is going to be about community much more than like Web 2 was, basically. And I, 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 I'm sort of, I've been reading loads about NFTs and I'm still kind of, I'm not sure. Like, I think there's a load of photographers just waiting to see what happens because it might be like the tulips of Amsterdam and the bubble burst, you know, and it, whether it's, it's, it's going to be real or, or whether it's not, but it's an interesting idea and it's an interesting concept. And I think, you know, just understanding it is, 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 
is it isn't that complex. It's just basically the blockchain. I just, and, uh, go on, sorry, Dan. I was going to say, I just wonder if you, you were saying about Web.3 being more about community. And I'm sure if you'd have spoken to people at the beginning of Web.2, they would have said the exact same thing. I just, I don't know. It's always going to be about the individual. Can, can people I, are I so wrapped dive, up in their own fucking ideas. Can I just dive in here? What the fuck is Web3? I'm, I'm, I don't know. What is Web2? What are you talking about? So, so I'm going to give you the quick death. I'm going to Google it. Basically, this Web1 was basically information. The, the, the internet was there just providing information. Like, you know, this is where you Early go shopping. Else. You know, this is where you go and buy crisps. And then like, I'm going to give Web3 definition. Hang on. I'm going to just... Two, two is like social media and stuff, right? Yes. Like social so media. we're in Web3? Yes, just about well, to kick off. This is what, what the, they're saying. And Web3 is NFT? Web3 Web is the third generation of internet services for websites and application that will focus on using machine-based understanding of data to provide a data-driven and semantic web. The ultimate goal of Web3 is to create more intelligent, connected, and open websites. Boom. But- I'm oh, sure I, the web I, two would have said the same thing. Right? I wait. I make my own website. That sounds like a lot of hassle. I don't want to do all that. Can I just put my photos <laughs> on my website? What is going on? I'm still mastering human learning, let alone machine learning. Oh, I don't know what the fuck is going on with that? Yeah, and web two just as a definition, the second stage of development of the internet, characterized especially by the change from static web pages to dyna- to dynamic or user generated content and the growth of social media. There we go. There you go, boys. See? What about lockdown three? Is that... <laughs> <laughs> Ed, one tiny thing that brings you joy, mate. Oh, yeah. One tiny thing that brings you joy. Tell me to... Should, should we buy you some time? It's been No, it's been a little while, but I just started shooting zombies again. Fucking love it. Are you a, are you a gamer, Ed? I was. I was. I, I started, I played on a BBC Acorn when I was three years old and I could beat my gap brother who was 18 years older than me at the time at Chucky Egg by the time I was four. Um, Chucky Egg, I love I was, Chucky Egg. I was on some kind of, uh, let's face it, I was at Reading Festival, I think, on some kind of uh, stuff. And um, there was a GoldenEye bus that would drive around and you had to beat the GoldenEye experts. And I was essentially, um, you know, being a psychonaut and I managed to beat them all in that space. I still managed to win. So, yeah, I don't You're know. You're my also, hero, Ed. You are my one hero. thing that's really funny is that on the Joe Rogan podcast, um, he mentioned how his addiction was video games. And he was addicted to Quake, old school, hey, back oh, in the I 90s. Quake. Yeah, yeah. Quake 2, Trent Reznor, the soundtrack for that. Was I know, Quake and that was soundtrack fucking one. amazing. Do you, know, do you know what my addiction was? Starcraft. Oof. Oh, I thought you were going to say I thought you were going to say Elite too, um, <laughs> but um, but yeah. So bottom line is yeah, and I don't. Once the girls were born, man, forget it. Like you no, know, I I didn't play video games for like two maybe two years. But um, my um, my brother in law, he's just he's seventeen or something, and when he's going to come around, we used to shoot zombies when when he was younger. I thought yeah, let's set it up. So I downloaded all the zombie maps, and I forgot how crazy it is like because i'm playing the zombie map on my own i'm killing like one go like 650 zombies on my own and like over half of them are headshots like two-thirds are headshots you still got it in you <sighs> i haven't played a video game for the so accuracy. bloody long oh but the good thing this is why it's a good video game to play and i'll tell you this is why it's a good game i only play for half an hour because you're so adrenalized and crazy 
it's not it's not a game you can like it's not like red dead redemption or any kind of game you can play and play and play it's like literally it's a it's like the crack of the video game world you like <laughs> you know once you've shot 600 zombies in 30 minutes you're like okay i'm good back in the room <laughs> let's do some work it's like the, the dmt of the video game world right yeah it's like whoa where have i been oh i was killing zombies <laughs> in world war ii oh and i'm back let's go to work um but yeah but that's that's it but i enjoy so i listen to podcasts when i drive because i have to drive to work so i've really really been enjoying listening to podcasts i think that's wonderful it's such a nice thing to do to listen to people kind of in that context and sort of just sort of let it swim over you and then you hear bits and you're like oh yeah that's cool yeah i like to listen to um just you know just before bed playing in bed and was reading a little book and she was playing under the covers and I lifted it up and she was rolling around and there was this really cool moment she looked at me and pulled a face and I thought you know mental photo you know that's an amazing image and do you know what I mean like so I've always been like that anyway man like um I think I am a really kind of see um, although I'm it, it sounds crazy like a lot of my friends will tell me crazy stories of stuff that I've done and I've just forgotten because I'm so in the moment slash future, my past, I don't even, I mean, I'm saying some stories now, but so much of it goes by the wayside because I'm always planning this project or trying to finish this thing. And this is something that I think is really cool is some cultures, they didn't believe in the future. I think it was the Norse. Maybe the Norse didn't believe the future. They, they right. didn't think of the future. There was no future. Right. And I think there's some cool philosophy about that, about, you know, being in the moment. But also for me, um, it's also about visualization. Like before I was trying to make my book um, on the train or if I had a moment, not that I have many moments, I'd close my eyes and I'd just try and imagine myself holding my book. And even before making my book dummy, I would just sort of mentally put it together in my mind. I would sort of envisage the size of it in my hands and how it would feel. And, you know, so it's really try and visualize it, imagine that book into existence. Like this is, this is here. And even that book dummy I showed you, like, I made the cover really badly, whatever, but that's what I filmed in the crowdfunding video. And again, it allows people to see, like, it's not made yet, but it's like, it, it could. It, it could does exist. It's it in the real world. You could touch it. So, um, again, that's something that I'm really into and something that I used to be into when I was younger a lot was um, sort of meditation, but also um, visualizations or vision quests. You can do like crazy stuff like Celtic shamanism where you go on kind of journeys and later on getting into Buddhism where there's meditation in Celtic shamanism, which was about quest, questing, going to the tree, going to the base of the tree into the underworld, all that kind of stuff. Mm. Whereas if you get to Buddhism, it's more about the art of negation. It's, it's not thinking about anything. And it's this wonderful thing where it's like both meditations work and either you're letting your imagination go absolutely apeshit crazy, or you're trying to completely control and negate and not be distracted and be mindful and all that kind of jazz. Do you still have a, um, like a meditation practice? Not at all. No. no. The closest I have to it is zoning out when I drive or anything repetitive like that. And I think I do quite well. I can do that quite well. Um, driving or, um, I'm pretty good at visualization going to sleep. If I wake up in the night, I can visualize something in my mind and go into a dream state and continue that image into my dream. Uh, I had that a history of lucid dreaming. Dream. Stuff. Well, I had a, a history of lucid dreaming a lot when I was a teenager. And the coolest lucid dream I ever had was that I was walking around with my pulse rifle with all the Marines with me, we're walking around. And, um, and then I realized this is when the aliens attack in the film Aliens, and I'm going to fucking die. So I scream, cut, and the dream pans out to reveal the director. And he's like, Ed, what's wrong? I was like, oh, I'm not feeling it. I feel really weird. I'm, I'm going to go back to my trailer. I'm, I don't know what the fuck's going on. 
So I leave all the actors and there's the alien guy dressed up. He takes his head off and the FP actors, they're dressed as the Marines from Aliens. I get to my trailer, like, holy shit, I'm in the film Aliens. I'm not in the film Aliens. This is a dream. And the minute I think it's a dream, the fridge of my trailer opens and the alien slides out of it to get me. And the whole dream is this cat and mouse of my subconscious being, you're in a dream, your dream, you can control this versus, no, you're fucking not. It's your subconscious. Eat shit. You're going to fucking get it. And it went back and forth, back and forth. And the most recent lucid dream I had was a friend of mine passed away this year that um, I went to uni with. She was only 40. Um, And I dreamt I was sitting at a bar. First of all, I dreamt I was looking at a photograph in my hands and it was of a boat on a lake with a girl with with hair faced away on the boat. And I realized I was sat at the bar and there were the optics bottles in front of me. And I turned right and there was a woman sat next to me. And I realized it was Jenny who was in the photo. And I looked at her and immediately I realized she was, I knew she was dead and this had to be a dream. And I gave her the best fucking hug, man. I gave her the warmest hug. It was so amazing. And like a few times in my life, I've dreamt of people who are dead. And often what can happen is you think like, oh yeah, it's so-and-so. Hey, let's hang out. And it's a normal dream. I don't remember anything that happened after that moment, but like. I, it's in, I, it's I, really I interesting made, that you remember yeah. that moment though, right? But I made the most out of knowing that she was dead and having that moment with her rather than being like, oh, it's just Jenny sat at the bar. Hey, Jenny sat at the bar. Let's have a drink. It was like, oh my God, Jenny sat at the bar. Fuck, you're dead. It was amazing. And that was like a week ago. So yeah, wild. That is wild. And it, like, I, I don't know. I feel like I just wake up from almost oblivion. I very, very rarely remember what I'm dreaming about. So it's really are you waking up? Are you, are you waking up crazy fucking early? No, well, not really. I'm just <laughs> not a morning person. I'm a complete okay. night owl. I tend to stay up until I'm completely exhausted and then flake out and then yeah. stay asleep as long as I possibly can. You want to try and get as much REM as you can. Your REM comes in waves and cycles. And if you can wake up during mid-cycle, you'll have more chance of remembering. I'm going to have to talk to you about that. Uh, the, the one the one of the triggers I heard for lucid dreaming is looking at your hands, like trying to look at your hands if you start to dream looking at your hands. But I think a lot of my dreams where I, I managed to lucid dream is where if stuff happened, it was a bit weird and I questioned it enough to then acknowledge I was dreaming. But now and again, you know what it's like. Just normally it's dreams. So, oh, yeah, there's Keith Chegwin. And oh, what? He's turned into an, a crow. And now he's playing the banjo. Oh, that's all right. Whereas it'd be like, Keith Chegwin's turned into a crow. And he's playing the banjo. I must be dreaming. But you don't. You just acknowledge yeah. it because it seems to be your reality and you accept your reality. You you're just presented accept with, it. Oh, this is fine. Oh, oh I'm, I'm an actor in the film Aliens. No, I'm fucking not. What? And then, yeah, it's, it's crazy. Yeah, I'm interested in that stuff. I'm interested in like hypnosis and stuff as well. I, I think. I think I'm going to have to do some serious reading on, I don't know, the mind's just so fucking weird and we don't understand any of it in the grand scheme of things. And it's just really, I don't know, I just find it, I find it fascinating all this stuff that we don't know, but there's these like weird little keys that, that kind of work and people have been using those keys for thousands of years. I just find that insane. Yeah. There's just, there's so much stuff that we just sort of know of that we take for granted that we don't realize there was amazing significance there. For instance, like they find cave paintings, right? And they're like, oh yeah, look, caveman drew a buffalo. Yeah, nice one. Fucking Picasso. You want a medal? He drew a fucking buffalo. What they don't realize is like, <laughs> who's saying that? Culture, who's I don't know. They're just like, oh, nice <laughs> picture. Mm, not very good. Is it? Mm, stick man. Mm. But the thing was, is that they were drawing that almost as a sense of like visualization, like we will kill the beast here's right. the beast here is our spear and it's going in the beast now out we go and it's like 
it was weird, man. It's like they were trying to sort of imagine a world where that eventuality was possible and then they would go do it. It wasn't just like... Well, know. some of them are almost narrative as well, right? Those cave paintings, sometimes when you look at them, they'll be like the buffalo, but they'll also be the guy hunting with a spear and there might be a different kind of animal. But they're, they're, they're almost like showing you... I don't know, it might be like you say, it might maybe that they're like visualising what they hope to do the next day, but they could have been visualising what they've just done do that we, day. Let's be fair, do we not know? Like, no, like, we're never we, going to know. But it's fun not, thinking about it, right? I, I read that they, they, they use them as maps... So that like some some Aztec tribe, there was like a map of this is where there's good beast up on this. Oh, right. Ma- speaking, like- of, speaking of maps, I've got to dive in with this, right? The the main hacker for Occupy in London, I'm still friends with on Facebook, and he shared a map today. And it was an interactive map showing all the psilocybin magic mushroom hotspots across Europe as a map. <laughs> That's amazing. That's where amazing. they grow. It lo- looks so cool. You look at it and you're like, what are these glowing dots? And you're like, oh, they're where the magic mushrooms grow. And obviously London's like nothing, but yeah. Scotland and Wales is like fucking lit up. <laughs> there's little, there's little pockets of areas you can find around like the southeast still. But anyway, just Google, Google Magic Mushroom Map. But it's amazing. You zoom in and out. You can just zoom in places. But it seems pretty cool. What was did that? you see? Did did you? Sorry, sorry, Dan. I was going. Did you see the gun map of the UK? Like the gun, the people who own. Like it was a really basically the the gun register got hacked. So people and basically they made a map of. The people who own guns. Every I mean, firearm. Who own legal firearms. I mean, it's mad how many people own a gun in the UK. It's like, I, I, it kind of shocked me. I, I know a few people that have guns. Yeah. Quite a few people. I don't. Oh, you say that like such a hard man. <laughs> no, no, the thing is, I know a few people. I'm from Kent, you know. My dad and his governor are going to make Phil Mitchell now. I'm going to knock his fucking head off. I can justify myself. Justify myself. <laughs> like Ed, Ed, Ed's probably in the same position, right? Paul, you live in central London, and I doubt there's all that many posh people that have like land and stuff around you. Hold, but, hold on a but, fucking minute. Ev, I ev, thought Paul was fucking... in Wales. I thought Paul was in Wales. You said Bridge End at the start of this. That's where he's <laughs> from. That's not where he is. Yeah. I'm South London now. I'm South London. Uh, yeah, I'm Wandsworth. So far, <laughs> so far away from South Wales. It, it hurts. Herith. It's, it's the word. It's my, it's my love for my place, you know? Herith, yeah? Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> You're you can take the man out of Wales, but you can't take the Wales out of the man. Indeed. Right. Let's just let's just quickly do some shout outs because oh, I yes. I can tell that I mean Ed, I already feel like we're overstaying our welcome slightly. You're such a busy man. Um, I mean, Ed, I say that Ed, a lot Ed, of it is not doing you know. Anything, yeah. Ed, can we can we have you back on? Because honestly, now, like I I, I don't want to be a sycophant, but uh, I really enjoyed your your passion, and I, I I think we could spend hours talking to Ed, couldn't we, Dad? Like, I, I don't I, even think we need to be here. To be, I think we could just set Ed recording. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Like I, I don't think we were recording when I said it, but Ed, Ed is like he's like the photographic David Lynch. He's just stuff pours out of him. Yeah, you're amazing. I had, I had, a, funny enough, I had a lucid dream about going to a David Lynch exhibition when I was a student twenty years ago. That I've always remembered, but I won't get into it now. But remind me, it's a crazy yeah, that's that's for our part two, definitely story. But anyway, shout outs. Can I do one? Yes, yes. please do. So I was struggling to think of one, and then I realised like a friend of mine who's really I haven't seen in, in years and years. He was an American photographer. He's back in America now, and he's just moved to um, Colorado. So that's uh, Denver, Denver in Colorado, maybe. But his name's Mark Mackler. 
and he was he's like a die in the world photojournalist he he came up about the same time i came up and we studied the same ma in photojournalism at lcc in 2006 and even then what's really cool about him then was that he was doing like little red carpet events like stringing like you know red carpet launches of film nights he was doing a little like um quirky events in the uk but also um like labor party conferences or tory conferences that kind of jazz and by the end of the course of the year after he was shooting a barack obama on the campaign trail back in america and he's done amazing work now over the years working for the new york times and wall street journal like everyone he's, he's done amazing photojournalism and again it's just he's one of these people where I think so many people in photography just forget about the swathes of photojournalists who are just making loads of freaking great work, but they're not in the bubble. So people don't know. And those photographers just don't have time to go around and be like, Hey, I'm doing a book because they're not, they're generally not those kinds of photographers. You know, they're not doing that kind of work. They're just doing, I mean, I'm sure there's plenty of books in that Mark could do that would be fantastic, but they're just so focused on it and, he is truly, truly in it. Um, he's on Instagram. I think he's got about, he's got shitloads of followers. He's got like 40,000 followers and he's just prolific with his content, always shooting, always sharing. And he's just moved to um, Denver. So it'll be very interesting seeing what he does there. He was, I think, in, oh my God, I, oh my God, so embarrassing, Mark. I'm so sorry. I can't remember. I'm pretty sure Philadelphia. Oh my God, he's going to eat me alive. I can't <laughs> believe it. Uh, but anyway, yeah, just a fantastic photographer, Mark Makala, um, M-A-K-E-L-A. But yeah, if you just just see the body of work, I can't even remember how many shots he's uploaded to Instagram now, but it's insane. Just lots. And his stories, like, is always like 20 things. And it's just amazing photos he's seen or things or inspiring stuff. He's just, when it comes, like, I, I feel like I'm a bit like the Energizer Bunny. This guy makes me feel like the fucking turtle and he's the hare. Like, he is just, you know. I look forward to checking him he, out. He's just switched on to fucking Billio and just, yeah, like incredibly prolific and just wild but um yeah there we go yeah i definitely look forward to checking mark's workout he sounds right out my straight to minister you um paul mate have you got a shout out um yes i'm my that was my wife calling apologies um i'm gonna go for a song a bit of music this week and i really love this tune by a band called public service broadcasting and it's go i don't know if you've viewed it but it's epic it's basically uses um they voice they basically it's, it's just really moving kind of cinematic music it's just bills and bills and bills and they use voiceovers from like space shuttles uh launch and stuff and it's just really it's quite interesting it's like it's like cinematic music it's the best i can describe it but it's cool i like it nice that is that the one you sent me earlier yeah i haven't clicked on it yet but I'm, maybe i'm gonna click on that in a minute when I when I sit um, and edit this. I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna run because my daughter's screaming at me for some reason and I'm gonna say goodbye, um Ed. And it was really, 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 really I don't know what is she doing? Sorry. Uh it was really, Go really on, lovely to meet you. Um and I will let's let's do part part two as well, definitely. Yeah, man. You go make sure. I hope there's no emergency. Hopefully all everything's right. all right. All Catch right. you bye, later, man. Bye bye, bye bye. Good night. So my shout out today is uh Susanna Barbara. So Susanna Barber is a photographer. Her work's all black and white. She's, I don't know, it's a super interesting. Her compositions are like really, really nice, really, really crispy looking images. And I tell you what she reminds me of. You know, all those Japanese photographers that kind of have that really crunchy look and everything's like moody as fuck. 
but there's like loads of motion in all the photos. She kind of reminds me a little bit of those photographers really, really into her work. Unfortunately, she doesn't have any books or anything out yet, but I'm sure it's only a matter of time. But yeah, Susanna Barbara, amazing. So as always, all the details of everything we've spoken about, and I'll try and put links uh, and all that kind of good stuff in the notes of the podcast. If you haven't already, go and follow Ed on uh, Instagram, go back his book. Ed, is Instagram the best place to find you? It's, it's Mr. Ed Thompson, isn't it, on Instagram? Yeah, that's it, yeah. That, there's a link to your Kickstarter in there, right, as well? In the <clears throat> in the, yeah, in the biography at the moment. And I've, I've, got, I've still got a little way to go, which is cool. I think I've got like 20, 22, 23 days to go. And I think it runs out the morning of the 14th of October. So well, ho- hopefully we can get you at least, well, hopefully more than the one backer you got from flack <laughs> but that's but, still good that's still good that's yeah still good. I, I mean it's good it's good but i i want this book so selfishly i want people to go back it just so that's i can true. have a copy that's true. I, I should probably let there's i think 60 people have backed it so far i need to say hey guys you need to you need to become emissaries for this book because yeah you, if you don't get I'm, made you don't get it that's i'm it. trying to pull my weight i'm trying to pull my weight ed cheers dad thank you <laughs> I, i'm desperate i'm desperate for this so hopefully someone will go out and buy this. Um, you can you can obviously find Ed, uh, Mr. Ed Thompson on Instagram. You can find us at Idle Hand Society. We'll have another episode out in two weeks. So we'll catch you then. Thanks, everybody. Thank you. Cheers, Dan. Thank you. Cheers, Paul. Thank you.